Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 682 with Chef Andrew Savoy. Set them up. I mean, that was the whole thing. Why you made an impact in that team is that you worked more and more on getting them prepared so when they walked in, they felt like they were ready to go. And so in return, guess what happened? They would set you up. It was such a key thing. And and to me, I took that away. It was like, this is something that's amazing. It's not about you. It's not about you anymore. It's about the other person. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable and when you run your first payroll you'll get your first three months free again that's gusto.com slash unstoppable if you like saving time and money then you've got to check out both beverager and foodager.com here's how they save you that time and moolah they empower you to count your entire bar inventory accurately in half the time they make it so you never lose an invoice foodager and beverager make it possible to place all of your orders at once you can even order from any device straight from the vendor which gets you those low low rates and lastly you'll get real-time costing and sales analytics to learn more head over to beverager.com or foodager.com slash unstoppable and if you use those links you can save up to 200 on your pos integration what are you waiting for with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Andrew Savoy. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling very unstoppable. <laughs> yeah, so let's dive into your story. But first, a quick intro. Chef Andrew Savoy, a native New Yorker, began his culinary journey after graduating from Baltimore International College in 1997. Eager to begin his professional training under the direct the direction of highly regarded chefs, Andrew headed to New Orleans, Virginia, California, Maine, and back to New York City. After he moved to Dallas, Andrew spent his time inspiring tomorrow's chefs as a culinary instructor at the International Culinary School at the Art Institute of Dallas, where he earned awards and accolades from faculty and students. Today, Savoy serves as the chef owner of Resident Taco, located in the Lake Highlands neighborhood of Dallas, Texas. Obviously, this is an abbreviation of what you've accomplished. I cannot wait to dive into your story to, to discover what you've learned, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yes. One thing I tell my employees every single day is to make new mistakes every day. Yes. But don't waste time making those same mistakes. What are you communicating in that sentence? The idea is just to learn. The idea is just to constantly be learning and understand that you're going to make mistakes. Perfection is not going to be attainable in any way. So just learn it, understand it, and grow from what you just did. I mean, the goal isn't to make mistakes, but the goal, I think, is to know that it's okay. Or the the idea is to know it's okay when you do mess up because 
it's inevitable. But it just is. try to learn something from that, right? That's right. Exactly. Awesome. I love it. So I love your story, man. I love the path you took, uh, choosing to surround yourself with the best. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but like, when did you know that this was going to be your career? When did you commit to becoming a chef? All right. So basically, going to college uh, back in 1994, I, I dived myself into business school. Okay. Thinking that was exactly what everybody should be doing. Go to college, get a degree in something, and move out and do your job. Um, I knew right away I was a tangible type of person. I like to have my hands into whatever I was doing. Okay. So college didn't really work out too well for me. After two years, I decided to uh, get myself into culinary school. Now it's a Baltimore International Culinary School in, in Maryland. And without the permission of my parents. Okay. <laughs> so that was the funny thing because I went down there and rolled in it. And at that time, I called my parents up and I said, Hey, Dad, Mom, uh, just let you know I kind of dropped out of college and <laughs> went to culinary school instead. How'd that go over? Not too well. What was the response? Uh, phone hung up oh. and I did not speak to my parents or they didn't speak to me for about one week. So what kind of uh, culture did you grow up in? Like, kind of paint that picture. Of oh, very supportive culture. Okay. 100%. Uh, kind of getting into the story though, um, I've always been into food. Okay. No doubt about it. Uh, watching television and just kind of seeing what was going on. Grew up with Julie Child and watching her create um, Jacques Pepin. And I just had a blast learning. And, but the problem was my mom was a nuclear kind of family cook. Mm. Cans, frozen vegetables, and frozen meat. <laughs> and so I knew it wasn't right. Yeah. But it was great. It was a supportive environment. It was wonderful. So what do you think the issue was with you becoming a, a chef that didn't sit well with them? Uh, it was a career move. Um, you know, I think uh, back then and, and maybe even still today, there's people that have perception that uh, culinary can't be a career. Yeah. Um, it's a stopping point. It's a job. And yeah, for now, a job to figure out what you really want to do. With right. Life. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just there to pay the bills if needed to be or maybe support yourself through school. Yep. Um, but they were concerned with that, too. They wanted me to be well said. I, mean, I think it's a, it's a valid concern in the sense that um, if, you're, if, you're, if you value money and you want to make a lot of money in life, then this might not be the best path. This might not be the best path. Right. But you, not to say you can't make a ton of money, but only a fine amount of people make decent money in this industry. So you have to get into it for the right reasons because you will never be satisfied. But if those reasons, which they sound like they are there for you, are, you know, the, the, the passion for the work, just the, the, the craftsmanship of the work, if that's what lights you up, then by all means, if those are you know, what fall underneath your values, then, then dive in. It sounds like that's what you did. Exactly. So that, I mean, that was the whole purpose. So after seeing a week of this in, in college, it was really apparent to my dad, my mom, like, okay, this is something he really loves yeah. to do. And plus, doing the college, I was also managing a pizza and pasta restaurant. Okay. And was so, this before culinary? Or this after? is before okay, culinary. Gotcha, gotcha. And so this kind of got myself going in. Yeah. I was like, I actually really like doing this, so why not go to culinary school? Yeah. And I think even to, like, up to this point in your story, what you're saying is, is great advice. Uh, if you're not sure what you want to do, uh, but you know you want to go to college or you're getting that pressure from friends and family to go to college, uh, the money's there to go to college, then do something broad, right? Uh, and you went to general business school. But those are credits that can transfer. 100%. Exactly. So you're, you're, at least you're putting your money into something, credits, right? Yeah, you can transfer so all my, ge- my general requirements were transferred yep. right over to culinary school. And, and, there's, and it was yeah. perfect. And there's skills that transfer with general business school too. So it's, I think that's a really great approach. And then get experience in the industry before you commit to this industry because it's not what you see on TV. It's not all Julie child's you know and i think that it's good that you got that experience you want to reflect on that um yeah it's just uh the experience itself going to school yeah um and getting all that information first of all i was never a good student never a good student (laughs) i'm right there with you um so it was challenging for me yeah 
So when I got all my journal requirements out of the way, I went over to culinary school. And from that point of view, it was so easy to me because it was learning about food, something I really truly wanted to learn about. Um, And again, it was more about hands-on. Yeah. And so right there, my grades went right up. Nice. Perfectly where I wanted to be. I was happy. My confidence was built up and said, yeah, this is something I really am really good at. I love it. Um, what about your time at culinary school? Are there any key mentors, people that you know you reflect back on that time that were kind of standing? Yeah, up? it's kind of hard to remember yeah. back at that time. But I mean, I don't want to skip over it. But I feel no. Like it's- it was it was a time. I think you know I was surrounded by people that really wanted to do the same thing. Mm. And when you're in college, uh, general college, whatever for business or whatever degree you're looking for, you're kind of mixed around with many different views of what people want to be. Mm. But when you're in culinary school, you're really mixed in with everybody, yeah. and I think everybody shares the same kind of passion. And there's a lot of drive behind it. Um, the educators that I had were fantastic. They were enthusiastic. Um, and they felt like more of your friends. Yeah. So when you graduated culinary school, what was the plan? What was your, your strategy at this point? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, they, they line up the plan for you. You know, so you get out and then go off and do an externship. Um, so they had a list of restaurants. And at that point, I said to myself, I really don't know where to go at this point. There was a friend of mine in college. Uh, that basically said, I'm going to New Orleans. I said, that sounds like a really fun place to be. <laughs> yeah. It's 21 years old. Yeah. So therefore, why wouldn't I want to go there and hang out in New Orleans and learn how to cook, but also have a good time? Yeah. So we decided at that point to make the trip down to New Orleans. Okay. And I enrolled into a restaurant and within the first week, I knew exactly that's not the restaurant I wanted to have my externship at. Okay. Why? Uh, uh, oh, man. It was a really well-established restaurant. Beautiful restaurant. What's the name of the restaurant? Can uh, you say? The- well, it was the Ponson Train Hotel. Okay. It wasn't really the restaurant itself, but the hotel itself. Had the reputation. Um, yeah. Had this reputation back in the 90s. Was, uh, but when I got there, it was the worst run kitchen I've ever seen. Okay. Uh, the chef was never around. The restaurant wasn't taken care of. It just wasn't nice. And right in there, I said, this is not what I'm going to do. Can you I, paint that picture of what not nice looks like? And yeah, not, sure. I, I hate to destroy warped the metal, reputation of a restaurant. Warped, <laughs> warped metal, unsanitary uh, surfaces, uh, poor cooking practices, walkings at the wrong temperature, uh, and giving me things to do that I didn't even know how to do. So that's like an instant a sh- snapshot of what the culture is like at this place. When right. those things, when, I mean, you go from that kitchen to one of Tom's Keller's kitchens where like everything is like right. stenciled out, has a place. Not, in a, not specific, well, maybe even stenciled. I don't even know. But point is, like, there's a place for everything. There's standards, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, but you, I think you did a good thing there. When right. you, it's okay to quit if what, you're quitting. Oh, 100%. It's holding yes. you back. It, and yeah. I th- it seems like you recognize that from an early age. Right away. Yeah. I mean, my, my, again, go back to my family. My family's always installed me with the right ethic, work ethic, and things like that. And what's right? I use the word integrity a lot in, this, in my, my position right now. But it was not good. Yeah. And right after that, I said, I'm not doing this. And yeah. so we decided to walk around New Orleans. And not knowing any really good restaurants, I just kind of looked in the windows and looked at how the dining rooms were set. And if I saw something, (laughs) right, exactly. Something beautiful. I wanted to see something beautiful. I wanted to work in something beautiful. Mm. And so therefore I found Dominique's at Maison de Puy in New Orleans. And so that was one of the first places that really got me into uh, what I am today. Yeah. You're saying something that's really important. I think it's when something beautiful, right? And when we're going to join a team, people want to be a part of something beautiful. So if you're listening to this and you're, restaurant isn't something beautiful and you're bitching about how there's nobody out there to to hire maybe you know look in the mirror a little bit because you're only going to attract onto yourself what you are right exactly yeah keep going 
So, yeah, walking in and just looking around, I said, this is it. This is something beautiful. Uh, the glasses, everybody was polishing, everybody was straightening up things. I mean, Standards. that was it. Yeah. That was it. I was yeah. like, okay, walked in. I said, just came down here. I'm doing an externship. Unfortunately, I'm not going to work at the place. Uh, are you hiring? Um, and they said, well, come on in and let's do a trial. How did you they know? say that? Let's come on in and come to do a trial. <laughs> was there a little bit of a southern twang on there that I picked up? Pretty or? much. Well, okay. that's, that's come now, right? Exactly. After being away in, uh, from New York and down you. here in Texas now. <laughs> so I walked in there and, and said, yeah, no problem. We'll give you some time. Let's do it. And uh, meeting all the chefs and the cooks were fantastic. The food was fresh. There was a belief. There was a, a philosophy of cooking. You could see it. Yes. And it was just So how did they – it sounds like they definitely had standards. They had values. They, they, they valued food. They, they valued clean, cleanliness. Uh, they had pride, right? It was a beautiful thing. What was going on within this restaurant that that culture existed? How, how did they maintain this type of culture from your perspective? Uh, leaders. Yeah. 100% leaders. I mean, you know, not knowing that when I walked in, but getting to know the leaders of that kitchen – uh, were amazing. And, it, you know, the chef itself was fantastic, but it was also the leaders right behind it. Mm. Uh, a man named Michael Roos uh, out of New Orleans and uh, my sous chef Trent, they knew it. They had love. They exactly loved what they were doing. And they nice. led with conviction. And you can see that everybody followed with them. Was there one person in particular that stands out to you in this time here? Um, it probably was Michael, yeah. Michael Roos. Yeah, I mean, it was, he was a key person in my life at that point in time, and he, he just showed me the passion of food. Give us one lesson from Michael that has stuck to you. Today. Oh, my gosh, time. just doing it right. I mean, seasoning right. There was so much love in his food. Um, and seeing something sloppy or not done right was just not okay. So and how so did he, he handle that? that? How did he handle that when something wasn't Talking, right? talking, talking, yeah. talking, communicating, communicating always. Okay. And it was nicely communicated. It wasn't, you know, the iconic mad chef in the kitchen raging. Yeah. It was, uh, no, let's try to do that again. Yeah. Well, I think that's really important, too, is when something's not done right, you have to understand that they don't know until they know, right? And if they know and they're still not doing it right, that's a different story. You can raise your voice. You can get serious. But when somebody's learning, like, you, you have to have that patience and understand that they have to get to this point. And if you're screaming at them, they're not listening to a damn thing you say because all they can think of is, screw this guy, right? I mean, I don't want, again, I'm not No, that's, put words that's in exactly mouth. right. Yeah. I mean, it was the patience that this person had for us. Yeah. Any other key mentors, any key lessons worth sharing before we move on to your next? Not your next so much experience? in New Orleans. I mean, again, I think I would just say it's the people I was surrounded with cooking in that kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Because, again, it wasn't anybody just there for a job. It was people there for passion. Yeah. And what I love about what you did, and we're going to see this at, at, as your story unfolds, I mean, you stopped at a lot of great places on your journey to come to Dallas, right? The first stop, Dominique's in, in New Orleans, and then from there, just bullet point the places you went. Not, without getting into detail, just list the places yeah, where you so, worked and who you Yeah, so for. New Orleans uh, to the end of Washington, we're working under Patrick O'Connell, and then uh, heading out to California um, to work for Thomas Keller. I worked at Bouchon as well there, um, and then headed up to Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into that a little more later, but headed to Maine at Hugo's, uh, and then from there went down to New York City, worked at Jean George, and then finally made my way to Texas. Nice. And any, I mean, I know you spent a lot of time in Hugo's. Uh, uh, that was a huge, um, huge transitional time for you or transformative time for you. But anything worth mentioning in your time, it, it, the little inn, I know that's where you met your, first, your future mentor. Right? Oh, yeah. And then I mean, we got to spend a little bit of time talking about what you learned from the culture of uh, Thomas Keller's restaurants. But sure. where does it make sense to focus our time right now? Okay. Well, I mean, the idea of, of just pushing forward. Yeah. And I think, okay, so when I left New Orleans, um, 
well, before I even left, I, I wanted to go somewhere really amazing. And so what I was reading about and what I was hearing about was the Inland Washington with Patrick O'Connell. He just went through a huge renovation of his kitchen and it just made such a huge impact. Uh, going through his cookbooks and just seeing the detail, the finesse, it was amazing. So that's kind of where I wanted to go. So I sent my resume up there and got denied. Well, I sent it again. Nice. And got denied. And I sent it again and it got denied. And I said, what is the deal? Like, you know, what <laughs> do they know? Who why I is this so hard to get into? I didn't understand that at all. So what I did was I got in my car and I basically left New Orleans not having a job behind me and just kind of went to Virginia and pulled up right behind the inn, went to the back door, knocked on the door and said, uh, can I uh, can I come in? <laughs> yes, Dude, I love this. So, I love this. Yeah, going, so I, I knocked on and said, "Listen, I would love to give you this free time. I'll give you three days of free labor. I just want to. I've set my resume up here a handful of times. I just want to come in." Beyond and that, you drove to Virginia. I drove to, to Virginia to, to get in front of these people. Right? Yes, actions speak a lot louder than words, especially right. when those words are like written down and sent to somebody. Right? Yes. Yeah. Keep going. So I knocked on that door, and who answered the door was Kevin Binkley. Okay. Kevin Binkley is now out of uh, Arizona. In, yep. He, I, uh, yeah. Bankley's restaurant. Yep. And so he answered the door and he says, what's going on? And I said, I just want to come in here and give you three days of my labor and free. And just, I, you, I, you know, I'm really interested in working here. I want to work here. And it was never about, hey, you know, is there a chance of me? It was just, I want to work here. And uh, so we got in the door. He said, yeah, no problem. And so he put me up. Free labor, right? Uh, free labor. He <laughs> yeah. put me up across the street. There was a free place to stay for anybody who wanted to do trials there. Nice. So I gave him about 14 hours a day. And I think right after that, just seeing who I was and put my work ethic into it, uh, they said, yeah, we'll hire you, but we only have one job available. And that was the mid- overnight midnight baker. And I said, I have absolutely no clue how to do it, but I will learn. Let's do it. So a couple things we need to dissect. First, don't quit. Just because you don't hear from somebody the first time, keep sending that resume in. Eventually, they're going to see a trend, even if it's just sending the resume in. And if you really are passionate, do whatever it takes to get in front of these people. Get in the door. Work for free. Young people don't see time as an asset. For some reason, they only look at money as the only thing that has value. Time is the biggest asset. And if you give your time to somebody 14 hours a day for three days, that's, you know, that's a good chunk of chain for somebody to pay out. You're, you're, you're basically handing them hundreds of dollars, right? Yeah. So you're taking, you're saying, hey, like, I'm going to bust my ass for you. I'm going to work for free. I'm going to get in the door and then prove yourself. And if you have what it takes, they will create an opportunity for that's you. That's right. I love that path. Um, do you want to reflect on what I just shared? Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is just putting yourself in there. You never know where your piece of paper is going. Yeah. You send it there at the front office. They're just going to look at things and they're just going to skip on over it. Yep. They're the ones choosing. They're really not letting the chefs choose yeah. who they want in those doors in those situations. You're making their life easier because right. at the end of the day, what the last thing a chef wants to do is go through resumes. Right. Right. They want to see who's going to show up and right. who wants it. Right. Right? So get out there. Go in the, the industry is freaking hungry right now. So mm-hmm. go offer your time as an asset to get your foot in these doors. You are the average of the people you surround yourself with. So go get around these people. I can't emphasize it enough. Right. Uh, so little in it. Dive into this, working at this restaurant. Oh, my gosh. Like, this was on? everything. This was my changing point. Yeah. Uh, so going back to really do I, the idea of where my career was going to start, this was it. Um, I got into that restaurant, uh, Midnight Baker, not knowing how to anything about breads or anything else, but learning with somebody. 
um, getting there at 11 o'clock at night and leaving at 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm. And it was amazing. I mean, again, I think the best thing I took away from the inner Washington is the people were around me. What did you take in? Get specific. What, what was it about these people that was so we were, worth taking? If anybody knows where the inner Washington is, it's in a little town called Washington, not D.C., but a little town called Washington in Virginia. Um, and there's nothing to do. Nothing. I mean, nothing for 45 miles around you. So therefore, you created a world of cooks. Mm. And what we would do after leaving the restaurant, we would all hang out. Even our days off, we would all hang out. And these so, aren't just like any cooks. These are passionate cooks. These, these are, are 100% passionate. Chefs, yeah, yeah. You know, nobody was accepted if you didn't have passion in this yeah. career. Um, but it was so much fun being surrounded by everybody. Everybody was learning, what talking the, about things. What's the power in that and surrounding yourself with people? I mean, you do it when you go to college. Not learning, quite the same. Learning, learning. Now you're like the cream of the crop. You know, surrounding yourself with these people who have equal passion. Like, what does that look like? Knowledge. It looks like knowledge. What's that look like? It looks like people talking about things. Uh, we would have a thing of, like, say, thought of the day or learning something about a food, a particular ingredient, and people would share that. We'd actually spend five minutes before even getting into the kitchen and talking about something someone researched. Yeah. And it was like, wow, man, there's so much behind this. Um, there's so much exposure in that world. You know, when you have amples of money have coming in and you're allowed to buy all these really beautiful specialty products and surrounding yourselves with local farmers and, and just cheesemongers. I mean, it was just amazing. It's so powerful. And yeah. we, we would take field trips to go learn how to slaughter a, a, a rabbit Yeah, and, and, the, and then take it back and start cooking with it. Now, I mean, which, which individuals here do you think had the biggest influence on you? Here in Dallas? No, here at the Little Inn. Oh, Little Inn in Washington. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, so right off the bat, I was introduced to somebody very special um, because, well, I didn't have a place to stay, and neither did this individual. Um, and actually, it was a pivotal point in his mind, I think, and that's what he said to me, but it was, uh, I was about to leave, but I didn't have anybody to, to live with and help support the rent. Yeah. So his name was Rob Evans. Yes. And uh, very strange, here I am, a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old, and Mr. Rob Evans at the time was 35 years old. So that was kind of a strange relationship. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, wait a second here, you're not kind of my age here, but why not? Um, he had so much energy uh, and passion about food that it, it really sparked another interest in me. The sense that even in his days off, he would spend time just really evolving himself with learning something else. Well, I think that's, the, that's what desire is. Like, that is what passion is. is like, all you want to do is this thing. Everything that you have goes into this thing, but it's not work because it's what you're, it's what you're consumed with. It's all you want to do. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, this is one of the really few industries that passion and desire will help you become so successful because of the amount of it's just so much it's just a matter of outworking the guy next to you or the girl next to you right, right? um and it, you can see that with rob and he was a past wow. guest on the show by the way episode 552 head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash 552 we'll link to that in the show notes uh and that's how i discovered you rob said you, you gotta you gotta head out to, to dallas and, and talk to andrew yeah. so um so you learned what passion looks like. You learned what full dedication looks like. What else did you learn? Oh, man, it was just amazing. I mean, the sense of ingredient-wise. I was just like I was exposed to something even better. I mean, yeah. New Orleans was wonderful. I wasn't really surrounded by a lot of local stuff. I mean, fish and stuff like that was great down there yeah. and some of the uh, indigenous kind of recipes that you'd create. But, man, being in the Virginia with the farms and everything fresh, that was something that was amazing to me. And something so new because I wasn't used to seeing that. How did this influence you? I mean, where were you before this and where were you after this as far as what your values were and what your thoughts were? Well, before this, I mean, I wasn't that educational and experienced with learning about food. I wasn't there. But afterwards, when I left the inn, 
Oh, mega. It opened up the whole new world. It was a whole level, new world. Right? It's like shifting from fifth gear to sixth gear. 100%. Like, oh. It was amazing. I mean, yeah. again, but I have to go back to this is that the people that I worked with, I, I mean, we, it's the only restaurant really to this day that I still connect with a whole bunch of them. Mm. It was a really weird little dynamic family that we had at that point in time. It was something really special. Yeah. I'm not sure if uh, that happens a lot in everybody's career, but at that point, we all clicked. We were such a perfect unit that made something really special. I mean, I think, I think uh, the, the, who's, what's the, gentleman, the gentleman's name that's behind the little enough? It's escaping my mind real quick. Patrick O'Connell? Yes, Patrick O'Connell. Thank you. Uh, Patrick, I mean, I've, I think there's nobody that can really shake a stick at what he's accomplished. So when you do this incredible stuff in your career, you attract onto yourself other people who have that passion want to be around you. It's not easy to get to that point, especially no. in this industry. And I think that's what the magic is. When, you, when you've reached this point of individual success you start attracting onto yourself other people that have that same drive that same passion it starts to compound right right you have the room full of these people and that room then again attracts even more people onto it so it starts to compound and it's really hard to recreate that i think you know that's why i say behind every great restaurant's a great person because you're only going to attract onto yourself people that are as good or you know you're or slightly below you, right? You're not going to attract onto yourself people who are better or more passionate. Right. So uh, do you want to reflect on that? Yeah. So, I mean, just being surrounded by these people. And first of all, Patrick was amazing. I mean, as an individual chef, he was, uh, he was a very intimidating person when getting there because he never really spoke a lot to anybody. Mm. Um, but once you kind of proved to your point that you were there to make his restaurant better, he really got a connection with you. Yeah. And then that's when something even more happens. Yeah, but you got to give before you get. I think some people join these teams and they expect the yeah. owner of these restaurants to open up doors. But the truth of the matter is, like, you oh, got to yeah. earn that. You know, you got to earn that respect. Yeah, at that time when we were there, he had actually a rule. He never spoke to anybody until six months. So he kind of would always go through his sous chefs or yeah. his chef de cuisine in order to speak about something. Why do you think he did that? I, I think he was just uh, in this industry so long that you, it's, it's burn and turn sometimes. People turn over so fast that you create this connection with someone. And it's hard that if they leave within a month or two, then I put so much energy into that. Exactly. And I think that's something that's really important uh, to, to point out is that we can only, as human beings, handle about 150 relationships at a given time in our life. And that's not business relationships. That's friends, families, like, you know, cousins, yep. you know, like, and you only have so much room for so many relationships. So you have to really be picky with who you give that time to. So I'm sure he's giving that time to his chef de cuisines, his sous chefs and his other business partners. Right. Yep. And if he can bring those people up to his level, then those people in turn will bring people like you who are coming in up to their level. And that's the best way to do it. Cause if you try to bring all those people, if you try to touch each one of those people, yep. you're going to dilute yourself. There's, you're going to burn out. There's no way that you have enough to bring all those people up. Yeah. Do you agree or disagree? No, 100%. I mean, that's the whole thing is investing your time to people yeah. uh, that are worth it. Yeah. And it's truly one of the things I've taken away from me, and, mm-hmm. and providing it to my own restaurant. Yeah. I do speak. We're a small restaurant, so I can't get away with not talking to anybody for six months. Yeah. But um, the idea, and we'll talk more about this word later too, and I think it's respect. I think yeah. respect is something that uh, that uh, I believe in. Um, is that something is you something want? that is not just given to anybody, but it earned. you got to give it way. before you get it again. Yeah, yep. and I'm really excited when someone does prove their point, and it's like, you'll know it. Yeah. You'll know it. So we still got two more stops on your journey before coming to Dallas. You yes. went out to California. You went to, to Hugo's where you worked with Rob even longer. You're a chef de cuisine for, or a chef 
at Rob's restaurant. Yeah, he goes. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, is there there's a story behind that. Well, there was only three of us, yeah, so okay. we'll get to that when we get over there. Uh, so we can't just skip over your time at Utesville. That came yeah. after Little Inn. Right? right. So again, this is the situation. It's, it goes back to the driving force behind wanting something. Um, after the Inn uh, and being there, you, you, all these restaurants that I'm going into, where there was a, a particular reason why I'm there. Uh, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn something. I'm not saying at, at that point I would stop learning and nothing could really be given to me, but I, I was itching for something else. Yeah. Um, so at that point, being good friends with Rob still, and, and also Kevin Bickley moved out there as well, I said, I'm going. I'm going to go out there. And what did I do again? I sent my resume out. And what happened? Got denied. <laughs> sent it again. Got denied. Yeah. Sent it again. Got denied. So I said, okay, this is it. I'm driving out to Yonville. So I, I basically got in the car and I headed out to California. It's a beautiful drive, huh? It was a fantastic drive. I've done it a couple times. <laughs> it's beautiful. So yeah. finally getting to Yonville again, what did I do? Knock on that back door. Because, I mean, that was the only way to get in these yeah. places. And so I did that. And, um, again, there was a chef, Eric Zibalti, was there and said, sure, why not? We're going to use free labor, you know? Yeah, and this Binkley's so. at this, at, there at this time, He right? was there at this time, How long right? was he there for? Um, Binkley? Yeah. Um, I think he's been there. He was probably there for about four months at this okay. time or maybe more. So, I mean, it's, it helps that, like, you're not a stranger knocking on the door. There's somebody with a foot in the right. door that can be like, I know him. He's not completely crazy. Right, right, right. He might be a little crazy, but not completely. Yeah, definitely. I set it up where basically <laughs> I said, drive yeah, out here. For I said, job, Kevin, so. I'm going to come here. So just let them know, you know, and he's like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll yeah, ask for you. And nice. said, no problem. Nice. So got in there and did a three day stage again. And, um, oh gosh, this place, um, again, precision, um, something different from the inn in ways that I've learned was basically just the art of finesse. And I think that's something big that Thomas Keller what is um, What is finesse? What produces. does that look like? Um, it's the way you handle everything, the respect you give to something, uh, whether it's an animal or it's a, a product. Yeah. It's, it's not just throwing away everything or whatever it is, just paying attention to the parts that are useful and everything within that ingredient. And, and, and the cleanliness. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Like, again, walk into this place, and people will probably describe this as that it reminds you of like a surgical, a surgical center. Uh, everything is just so perfectly placed and neat that it doesn't look sloppy. Yeah. One thing I've heard, you know, it's a saying you probably heard before being in this industry is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the, that they are, they, they do this so well from what I've heard um, is that they're so intentional, but everything is so intentional and so smooth and everything has its place that they don't rush around. And I, I've never been in one of these kitchens, right. but I've heard that everything is just very cool, calm and collected. And it's, is it, do you think it's because everything has its place it or does. is that not? It 100% real? does. But also in these kitchens, you have uh, up to 12 to 20 cooks all around you. So everybody has a part to this big piece. Mm -hmm. So in a situation like that, I mean, you're, you're really focused on one perfect identity of, of a degree to your something lane, else. Right? Yeah. So it's not about one cook producing so much. It's about the team aspect to this and then giving someone the ultimate experience about how a plate actually looks. So what, what did you learn about tastes. working in a team and working in an environment like that to have it all come out? Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. thing. It's not just about you anymore. It's about what you're doing to the collective, the team magic. That's the whole thing. It's that you have an integral part in this process and it's very important. But we can you take are. we can make that we can take that mentality even if you're a chef that has more than just one thing to focus on. Maybe you're you're getting the whole uh, dish to the pass. Um, but how can we take these lessons about just focusing on your role and and apply it to the like other restaurants that maybe don't have twenty chefs in the kitchen? Yeah, definitely. And that's the idea is that even if you have all these these, these chefs in the kitchen, you're learning mise en place, right? Mm. That term I'm sure you've used a million yep. times. 
But things have a place. Mm-hmm. They really, truly do. Yeah. And I think on a small level scale, just like I have here in this restaurant, um, I try to teach the cooks that everything needs to be put back exactly where it's going to be um, in order to, for us to, to deliver what we need to do. Um, but on a smaller scale mm-hmm. and not really overdoing it yeah. in a way. Um, anything else that we can pull um, from your time here at the French Laundry? I mean, I'm sure there's not oh, French gosh, Laundry. Yeah. It was, uh, where I was at Bouchon, right? Bouchon, thank you. And that was, I mean, that's a good transfer question, too, in such a way where I remember doing my stage and, and finally at the last minute, Thomas Keller says, well, um, why don't you have dinner with us? Yeah. So he sat me at his desk over there and I sat there and I said, this is kind of incredible. Right. And so the team produced me whatever, five, seven courses, can't particularly remember the whole thing. Um, and remember just eating everything and was so amazed by the flavor that was coming out of this and the presentation and, and the calmness of this kitchen. And at the end of it, he just looked at me and says, so uh, where do you want to work? And I was like, well, here. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah. You know, and and uh, it, was, it was just such an iconic question. I was like, well, yeah, of course. This is where I want to be. Um, and it was amazing, though. Uh, and I got the opportunity to go to Bouchon uh, at that time uh, because of the waiting list at that place. Oh, my gosh. It was, it was quite insane. I'm, squir- I'm a squirming in my seat right now because <laughs> of uh, that line. I think it, it's such a simple line. So where do you want to work? Um, and, and I don't think that the, the significance of that line has really settled into my listeners yet. And it's this mentality that when com- people come to you, you have to have this mentality that it's my job to push them out to get them to the next place. Right. And almost everybody that comes through one of his restaurants is using that restaurant as a stepping stone to put his restaurant, his brand on their resume to open up other doors for him. But oh, when yeah. we take that mentality, right, that we're here to get these people away from us and to help them get away from us it's amazing how many people don't go right right and if you if you take that 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 thomas keller that danny meyer that um name fill in the blank great restaurant tour mentality they're almost always trying to push people out of their system because they've accepted that they're a stepping stone yes but because of that you know like they end up hanging on to those two or three people that want to stick with them right and that's that's who they invest in and say well what do you want to do right now they didn't necessarily take those approaches but um you want to reflect on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of use the same model here. I mean, I tell my employees the same thing. Is something I took away from all that is that I don't expect you to be with me for the rest of my life. Mm. I really just want you to learn something here. I yeah. want you to have fun. I want you to engage. I want you to do my product well. Um, and, and at the point where you think it's not there anymore, then you need to move. You need to go somewhere else. Yeah. And invest your time somewhere else at that point to make yourself great. Yeah. Uh, but I use the same same thing. The same yeah. mantra that you're going to talk about is just the idea of just learn, work hard, you know, help help each other out in a yeah. way. And we're, I think they do a great job at that. It's hard to believe we're already over 30 minutes of recording time with this, with this interview. Right. But with a resume like yours, I mean, we got to dissect some of these experiences and dive in. But yeah. it was after your time in California that you went to the other coast, uh, Portland, Maine. Or, yeah. Right. Was well, there anything in between? Well, them? of course there is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so working at Bouchon was a whole other thing, too. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, here you I are. I want to cut you short. If you, if you want to talk, I'll, I'll go. Oh, yeah. So hour. this whole thing is amazing. So yeah. Bouchon was beautiful um, in the sense of what I've learned from that restaurant. Mm-hmm. So in Washington, French Laundry, very precise, you know, finesse. Bouchon had its own little system going on. It was that, you know, uh, well, Bouchon, Mm. uh, a very traditional French kind of cafe feel. And it was speed. I gained so much speed out of this place. They gave me the meat department, which basically I had to work the meat station. 75 items came off, or 75% of uh, the menu came off that that, that station. I got destroyed. Um, I've never felt stress and pressure in my life like I did in that, that position. Yeah. And 
um, it was so, so worth it. Well, they must have thought you could handle it because they wouldn't have given you the meat. To, like that, that's like the, 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 the creme, like that's what everybody wants to get, that station, right? Meat station. I guess so. I yep. don't know. They just put me on it. And okay. I said, okay, let's do this. And all of a sudden I started proving myself, I guess. I mean, yeah, I got yelled at. Trust me. Um, uh, but it was something worth it. And I, I took it. I, I held so how did it. So how did you evolve in this, 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 this role, this station? There, uh, the involving was just learning to keep up. Because if you didn't keep up, you were going to get kicked out. And I did not want to leave that restaurant. And I didn't want to be fired from that restaurant. So I kind of just kept up my pace. What does learning to keep up look like? Learning to keep up means focusing, getting in there early, mm. uh, getting yourself prepared, and start mentally making notes about how to get things done uh, in the most efficient way. Yep. And that was the whole thing for me. Learning how to be more efficient, how to be clean, how to be, have, use, utilize that speed. And obviously cooking everything to temperature correctly. Yeah. I mean, the way I listening to you talking, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit that I started playing video games over the past two days because I had some downtime. I was like, I want to do nothing for two days. And I got the new need for speed video game. But there's a section where you can chase a ghost of your car in front of you. Right. Right. And you get to run the lap. Right. And you're like, oh, shit. Well, that was horrible time. But then you see the ghost in front of you and you're t- making these little notes like, oh, I want that way this time. Right. And then you start. All these little these little tweaks and 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 they, they compound over time. Before you know it, you've shaved thirty seconds off your best lap, and you're a, a rock star. So like, pay attention to how you're doing things and how you can do it better, and always try to make these little tweaks that they compound. Right. I don't know why I use video games to. Well, but no, I think totally that was a good sense. example. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the one thing that made me really successful at that job yeah. was um, I had a, I had somebody there, and I like, I forgot his name unfortunately, but um, he was so amazing. Like at the end of the night, just sit down and talk. Like, okay, let's talk about what just happened there, yeah. and we reflect on the whole night just reflect on it like what what went right what went wrong and and what could you have done better yeah. and it was so nice for that guy to take that time out and just kind of talk you through because obviously i mean in the middle of the whole thing he was just come on come on come on keep up keep up keep up and but at the end of it it was like okay let's get to a personal level now mm. let's get back to talking about how we can make ourselves better yeah and then obviously talking about the next day after and saying yeah you did a better job there. So there, there's that you got to wear those multiple hats as a leader, right? You have to put the pressure on when the time is right to, to let people know that they aren't where they, they're supposed to be. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to have that, put that nurturing hat on. You'd be like, all right, right. let's dissect this. Like what could, what did you learn? Yeah, like, it, it's in- all about that mm-hmm. and really making sure that uh, there's not just one side of communication going on there. There's yeah. just this, Hey, let's talk more about this and, and be better. Yeah. So, what what brought you to the East Coast? All right. So, anyway, so the, all somewhere on California, and Rob uh, had moved away to Hugo's or to Maine, I should say. He said he just wanted to get back to Maine. And, was he at Utahville too? Or, uh, yeah. Well, he was okay, he was three. over at uh, the laundry. Okay. That's um, right. But he wasn't there when I was there. He okay. already moved out, and gotcha. it's like I went back to Maine, and uh, there's an opportunity he had up there that he wanted to pursue, and um, he just gave me a random call one day and said, "Hey." I'm opening a restaurant. I said, okay, well, what are you doing, man? He's like, well, I just kind of bought this restaurant called Hugo's. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? What do you, what do you need? He's like, I just need people I can trust. Mm. And uh, that'll be something that I take away later on in my career. But the idea is like, yeah, no problem. Let's do it. So even leaving California was a really hard decision. It really truly was a hard decision. Yeah. But I knew that... Uh, well, this is the early... Uh, 2000. This was 2000. Two, 2001, 2003. This was 2000 into 2001, right? Okay. So, yeah, I mean, so. this is the place to be in America if you're passionate about right, it. Right, like, yeah. The West Coast is where everything it is It was happening. happening. Yeah. It was totally happening. It was beautiful. So that's a lot to walk away but from. I'm not going to also say it was very expensive to live out there, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, um, I, I moved up and, and went up to Maine. And, and not knowing what I was going to get myself into, I just knew that 
Rob and I had a great connection. Mm. And I learned a lot from him, and I was, still was learning from him. Um, so I said, okay, let's do it. So I got up there and getting myself into, and this is what I was laughing about, what role did I play? I, we, I don't even know if we had roles. We just did everything together. So it was the three of us. It was myself, uh, a gentleman named Scott, who also worked at the end of Washington with us at the time, and Rob. And it was, that was it. We all got there at 8 o'clock in the morning and started to develop a menu for our night service. Nice. And Left around 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. So did you get there before the doors opened for business, or did you get there after they opened for business? Oh, before, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. So like before, I'm not talking about day by day, I'm talking before the business was an actual business. Oh, no, the business was a business. So you, you helped open the doors to the business, no, or you so, were there yeah, after yeah. He's, He was already open for like three months. Okay, gotcha. But gotcha. I think that was the problem he was having. It was like I couldn't, he couldn't find somebody to fit those roles because it was really hard. I mean, any, you open a restaurant, you need people you can trust. So how did he convince you? Because it sounds like he reached out to you before they opened, and you weren't quite on board yet. Oh, oh no, 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 no. He reached him out after he was Oh, okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So, so this is probably the first restaurant you worked at, um, and I hate to make assumptions, that you came on when before there was a reputation. Right. What was that like? I mean, you're going from all these restaurants that are staples, yeah. that you're, oh, you're going to the best. It was, you've surrounded yourself with the best, and now you, you, you've hung on to some of these people who have done the same thing as you, right. and you're, you're joining forces. It's yes. a little bit of a different approach. What was different? Right. The whole momentum behind this was I get to really start to learn who, what my philosophy was. I mean, we're doing Rob stuff, you know, no yeah. doubt about it, but it was like, okay, he was giving me create. Creati- you know, creativity to outlet to create things. Yeah. So I was basically a pastry chef there, created the, the pastry menu, um, and also did a lot of the, the first courses and things like this. But it was like we worked together to create this menu. And then for me, that was the whole key. It was like, okay, great. I get to now start using my head. Right? Right now just doing other people's food, yeah. which I loved, but I wanted to get out and try something. And this was the creative outlet that really propelled me into learning about flavors and taste and learning through mistakes. Mm. That was the whole thing of like learning through mistakes. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a huge lesson. But what about, I mean, up to this point, we were talking about established cultures and what things were like when you got there. Right. Um, you got to kind of have your hand in creating this culture, right? I mean, it was, yes. it's Rob's place, but you yes. were there from day one. You were a part of creating this culture. Oh, it's such the people there. The so, so what was that like? How was that different of being able to identify your culture. The culture was, it was um, a very respectful environment. Um, There was not a lot of stress in the sense of when you walked into these other restaurants that there was a lot of stuff to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And not saying there wasn't a lot of stuff at Hugo's, but I had more ample time to go in there and play around. Mm -hmm. It it was something that allowed me to be and build my self-confidence. Okay. And that's what the difference was. I mean, again, I had confidence in those restaurants they were great, but to do something completely different, um, to build menu items that people wanted to try and taste, yeah. that's where something was really magical. So what was it like when you first were, were, were tasked with this responsibility? Well, how did you feel about that? I felt excited. I was like, wow, Rob really trusts me into doing something like this. Okay. You know, he, he believes in me. Yeah. Well, how did you evolve in that position? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. mistakes. I mean, oh, I mean so many ups of, and downs yeah. in that job. It was so funny. I'm, I'm sure Rob and I get together. We'll sit and laugh about <laughs> Some of the arguments that we went through. Um, I what was were young, some of those arguments? Oh my god, I was a young kid. I was. Yeah. I had. You know. You know. It's hard to say you don't have an ego in this business, but yeah. you know you do. Yeah. And sometimes you just want to prove your point. And, and this time you're 24. He's 36. Oh gosh, right? no. I was. So maybe yeah, 23, 24. 24 yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And so it's just funny. I mean, it just made me laugh. Reflecting back at this time. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, this is going back almost 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Right. Um, there's a lot of time that, especially men, evolve a lot in their later 20s. They mature a lot in their later 20s. Reflecting back at the man you were when you were 24 years old, given this responsibility, how, how knowing what you know now right. and looking at that through a matured lens. Sure. What, what would you have done differently? Not to say that you did anything wrong. You know, wrong. not much. Yeah. Not much at yeah. all. I really, I really enjoyed my time so much. We spent a lot of time just creating and, and What about some fun. of these arguments? The arguments, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's like any kind of marriage yeah. that you're part of. Okay. You know, you, there's a point you want to make, and, and sometimes it's not going to reflect. And again, it goes about the trust. It's, <laughs> it's all trust. I mean, he trusted me. I trusted him. At the end of the day, you both want this place to be great, right? Yeah, well, not so you're, still, you're still pulling in the same direction. You're just slightly pulling maybe at an angle different like well, let's do it this way or well, let's do it this way but overall if you draw a line through a circle you're still on that 180 180 degree side right, right. you're still pulling in the same direction yeah um rob prepared me for a lot of cool things i think the one thing i'll take away from him was preparedness okay um and responsibility and uh, accountability so what does preparedness look like what so, does he teach you how do you well, get prepared well the, ex- the example i'm going to give you is kind of interesting um, I wanted to go see my family. We were off. And so, therefore, I left on a Sunday and we were opening back up on a Tuesday. And I decided to get a flight home Tuesday. And he looked at me. He's like, What happens if that flight doesn't make it back? Like, how do, who's going to do your job when you're here? I'm like, Well, we're not, well that's not going to happen. I'm going to get back. Yeah, not in New Hampshire or no. Maine. No. So, guess <laughs> what? What time of year was it? So, guess what? No, I didn't make it back in time. <laughs> was this, was you said this was Christmas? When was oh, this? it was a holiday of some sort. So sure. It was probably it was some random weekend. Was it summer or winter? Oh, it was definitely like in a winter time, fall, winter time. Yeah. 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 Nor'easters. So, I, have it so I just remember that. <laughs> and him sitting me down like a dad yeah. and being like, why are you such an idiot, dude? <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. So yeah. from that point forward, I try to share that same thing with a lot of people. It's that think ahead. Don't mm. try to always just make it. Yeah. Don't try to do that because chances are there's going to be that one chance that you don't. Yeah. And it's going to make a big difference yeah. in something that happens. You know, that's, that resonates with me right now. I'm traveling all around the country, you know, trying to get from one interview to the next interview. After four months of that, you're just like, crap. Like, right. this, is a, this is hard. There's got to be a smarter way to do this than preparedness, right? Yes. Lining things up in advance, having a plan. Um, you know, there's just, that's a huge lesson. We can yeah. apply to so many verticals in life. Yeah, so that was uh, the whole thing. It was just working so many hours. It was just the three of us. Again, yeah. we're not working in a kitchen more than three people. Mm-hmm. So that was the whole thing. It's just being prepared, being prepared, being prepared. Any other big lessons in your life uh, at, at, or this section of your life working with Rob uh, that are worth sharing before moving on, coming down to Dallas? I know you t- spent time as an educator. Yeah, talk a just bit the about idea that? of humility and, and um, professionalism at its best. Um, you know, Rob was just a mentor. He is my mentor. Mm. I mean, 100% uh, to this day, we share, we have great conversations. Yeah. If something comes up, I talk about it with him. Um, he's been through a lot yeah. and it's great to share that information with him and he shares it with me. Yeah. And I should mention that Rob is no longer at Hugo's. He sold Hugo's to, uh, people that he came, that mentored him. Right. Right. I've actually had them on the show as well. Uh, and he's now, uh, if you guys are in the Northeast or in Portland, go check out his restaurants. Uh, the duck fat is one. And I think he has a fry shot as well. Yeah. What's fry, the fry shot. The yeah. Fry yeah. So, um, he's doing great stuff out there. Great dude. Go give him some. Oh, some it's love. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're transitioning, um, you, you you made the move to Dallas, or first we went back to New York City, then to Dallas. Uh, anything worth pulling from? One hundred percent. I met my dear wife today. Ah, yes, she's, yeah, so. she's sitting off <laughs> off the screen right now. You can wave if you want. I won't stop you, but if you're shy, that's yeah. fine. 
So <laughs> I, um, you know, that was interesting. I met my wife at a, a, a nice little bar there, karaoke night on a Monday, which I did not do karaoke. Okay. Uh, saw a pretty girl walk in the bar, and there she was. Yeah. And uh, from that day, we just kind of had a long-distance relationship. So she lived in Kansas City at the time. Okay. She was up there doing some training, and we connected. It was actually a really kind of iconic date. It was the night before 9-11 happened, 2001. So it was a very small world at that mm-hmm. point, and we just kind of connected mm. um, and, and never kind of fell apart from that situation. Um, so, so, yeah, that was one of the reasons why I think I left Maine. <laughs> yeah. um, but I went to New York it's first. It's a good reason. It's yeah, good reason. and I think Rob, I think, was kind of like, why are you chasing a girl, man? I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know, Rob. This one's kind of special, dude. Um, so it was really sad to leave um, uh, Rob at that time. Um, but he was also uh, well off to doing great things. Yeah. I mean, his, his restaurant finally got uh, organized and we were having a great time and, we, and it was just so nice. It was nice being part of that whole process. Nice. And, um, and leaving and looking back at what he's done, it's incredible. It is incredible, yeah. Uh, so, uh, what eventually, I mean, you came down to, to be with your wife, your, right. your future wife. Um, you decided that maybe you don't want to work in, or there wasn't, I don't want to tell the story. You tell yeah, the story. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, leaving, New, uh, leaving uh, Maine, I wanted to go to New York. I just yeah. wanted to go back to New York. I wanted to be in the city, uh, you know, I'm from New York. Uh, grew up there, and I was just in love with the city. I wanted to be part of that energy, and I've heard so many great things about it. So, again, I kind of just knew exactly where I wanted to go. I knew what style that I really, really loved, and it was John George. He just had this beautiful way of food, and I liked the the flavors. I've been to his restaurant, um, and I wanted to be part of that process. I wanted to learn something from, from New York, mm-hmm. um, especially from that team. Yeah. Three star, three Michelin star restaurant. Oh right? my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Like just in, not that that was new to you. Incredible. <laughs> no, no. Right. It was just, yeah. it was different though. It was different. Each yeah. one of those places completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, they're deserved the respect and it was just amazing to see something a little different now. So anything that hasn't come out of your story, as far as lessons learned, values learned, ways to be, uh, is there anything that's that's new that you can introduce to us from these experiences at Jean George? Yeah, John think, George. I always Jean, say Jean. Is it Jean or John? Jean George. Jean, Jean. Jean George. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I destroyed names. Um, it's the last name that I think everybody gets <laughs> confused about. Um, but um, going into New York, um, I, w- I wanted to learn something um, different. I wanted to learn a little bit more high energy yeah. and personality. I've heard it was always tough to go into New York and work in New York restaurants. And I was like, okay, well, let's, let's go see what that's like. Um, and then moving my way down there again, I did the whole resume thing again. Sent, sent, sent. No reply. Went back, knocked on the door, got in. Um, good, this is a good technique if you guys haven't yeah. figured this out yet. <laughs> this works perfect. Keep going. And it was just funny. I got in there and I remember when I was leaving and there was two chef de cuisines at the time. Uh, one for daytime, one for the nighttime. And I remember the daytime guys, yeah, we'd love to have you. And, and all of a sudden, I guess he didn't communicate that with the night guy. Um, oh. So <laughs> it was kind of an awkward position. It's like, who are you? So like, <laughs> all right, fine. You know, so yeah. get him in there. And so, again, I went down and started at Nougat Team, which mm-hmm. is kind of attached to the Jean-George restaurant in New York uh, City there. And um, I just kind of just showed what I can do and nice. created specials on that menu and had fun working with people. It was a spec level again. So this is how you got in. What was new? What was different? Not necessarily about the food, yeah. but any lessons around leadership, uh, culture, things that they did different. This was a little bit different. Yeah, this restaurant was cool because um, it was really about setting up the nighttime and setting up the morning time. Mm-hmm. So that there was a really good, strong team shirt, teamwork level that I haven't seen um, in the sense of like not really part of your shift. It was part of somebody else's shift. Mm-hmm. So setting up Mise en Place and preparing everything else for the morning crew when they came in, 
you were like a team. Mm-hmm. And I never had that approach before where I was really working with somebody from the night crew and then the day crew, and then you kind of work together. Um, and accountability was huge because if you didn't pull your weight, you would hear about it again. So what makes these night crews and these day crews work together well? What's going on that, that they did that, was, that we can run Setting them up. How do you set them up? Set them up. I mean, that was the whole thing. Why you made an impact in that team is that you worked more and more on getting them prepared so when they walked in, they felt like they were ready to go. Mm. And so in return, guess what happened? They They would set you up. It was such a key thing. And and to me, I took that away. It was like, this is something that's amazing. It's not about about you. It's not about you anymore. It's about the other person. Yes. I was just going to say that, and I'm happy you you took the words right out of my mouth. And I think you see it all the time. And I don't know about you, if you read these, these, uh, like, you go to these forums and like Facebook, these communities where people will just talk about, are you guys experiencing this where the night shift isn't doing this? Like you, it's up to you as the owner to, to establish that culture that we take care of each other. And right. it's not me versus them. There's a lot of front of house versus back of house day shift versus night shift. Get that shit out of your business. Yes. It's we, that right. we mentality is we are here together and we serve each other just as much as we serve our guests yeah. or everybody else. Right. That, that we mentality is so important. Do you want to dissect that? Yeah, anymore? that was, that was the whole thing I learned. Yeah. I mean, it was just a major, the whole idea of just setting these guys up with everything. I yeah. mean, I just remember working so hard and staying the, the, you know, the hour later to make sure that when they walked in, they felt that. And yeah. then in return, I was part of that team. Mm. You know, I felt there was something more there and it made me happy to walk into work, not feeling like I was judged, mm-hmm. uh, but I was, I was simply somebody that was there making this better. I love it. And that was a really cool thing. Any other key lessons you want to draw from this before we start telling <laughs> yes. your story? And, you yes, know. I got a great story. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's wonderful. In the learning environment there, I learned um, trying to be too efficient uh, was not okay. Uh, I knew what my station could handle, yeah. and I knew that I was going to handle more. So I tried to cheat a little by putting a little too much fish into a drawer that was probably not as sanitary oh. as I could have done. And uh, I remember John George noticing that right away, and he opened that drawer, and he was so angry at me. Ooh. I, you know, at that point, I said to myself, "Okay, integrity, integrity, integrity. I will, I will do the right thing." Yeah. And, and if it has to make me going downstairs and running a mile to get more fish if I need it, I will do it. Well, let's let's dissect this a little bit. I mean, what happens when you shove a bunch of fish in a drawer that doesn't? <laughs> it's not meant, you know. Temperature, like, right? You might pull an extra minute or two. Out of that, you know, you might be able to save some time, be a little more efficient. Right. But in the long run. Right. So it's just a respect to a product. Exactly. Like shortcuts, you know, usually short gain shortcuts, immediate gain shortcuts yeah. are always compounded and they, re- they turn into long game, like somebody's sick now or being sued or right. this is the new standard. Now everybody's doing this. Yeah. You know, you, you have to keep those little standards fixed because right. as soon as you guys start to drift like that's when you know short cut, cuts they compound i was looking i was yeah. looking out for myself and exactly. that's what i was doing yeah. and unfortunately i knew it and then yeah. i got caught um and yeah never did that again i think we've pulled tons of nuggets from your story to the surface to this point we're gonna take one quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to uh, dive into your move to dallas and we'll fast forward about 15 years yes of and course. talk about you opening a resident taco perfect awesome It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. 
That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash unstoppable. We're back and we're about to dive into your story on how you came down to Dallas and how you got the Resident Taco started. But before we do that, we got a cheers. And please come join the cheers. We have... the. We can't <laughs> remind me of your name. I already forgot your name. What, what's your name one more time? Amy. Amy. Thank you, Amy. We got Amy here, Andrew's wife. Uh, cheers. And who, who are we drinking right now? Well, this is Michael Petticoles or Petticoles Brewing Company, um, located in, in Dallas, Texas. And we're drinking one of their iconic beers called Too Soon IPA. Too Soon IPA. Thank you very much for the beer and, and a quick nod to those guys. Yes. All right. So. Where does it make start sense to start telling your story of the resident taco? I know we have to mention um, yeah. that you took a little a little like, ten year detour education, yeah, uh, educator, I should say, yeah, yeah. Do you want to just yeah, really really fast that? about why I did this? Yeah. Um, got to Dallas, and it was funny because I never moved to a city without going to a place that I wanted to be. Well, I came here because of Amy, yeah. so that's why I moved to Texas. Um, and then I just kind of fell into like this hole of where what am I doing? Where where am I going? And um, I got a call from the Art Institute of Dallas. Um, maybe becoming an educator. Well, never really thought about it. Went down and they, you know, liked what I had and would offer me a job. And when they told me that I would uh, have a 401k and benefits and <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, this sounds pretty this fun. I've yeah. never had this before. Now, did you have kids on the way at this point? No, no. Okay. This is, yeah, this is during our, our uh, non-marriage days here. Okay, nice. And so um, it was fantastic at that point, but I knew it, it was something special. Um, I was always afraid and I was, I'm 100% an introvert, and I, I never wanted to be around a lot of people. I remember that first day I taught, and I had to give a lesson basically on skills. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's like 30-something people in this classroom <laughs> all looking at me. This is really uncomfortable. Um, but that's one of the challenges I overcame. And in yeah. the nine-year period that I taught, that was one of the biggest things that I took away was how to work and talk with people. Mm. And that was the key thing. How do you work and talk with people? Because I'm confident now. <laughs> no, but I mean, how do you do it? Like, what yeah. did you learn? Like, what? I mean, we have yeah. to do this yeah. when we're when we're operating a restaurant. So pre meal, you know, maybe it's only yeah. fifteen or twenty people. It's called it's called learning experience. It's talk about how to work with individuals. Right? You mm. can't just manage people one way. That's it. It doesn't work. Yeah. You have to know who that individual is. What makes them click? We're not what cut makes from the them same shine. cloth. Right. You know, we're all individual. We're all unique, diverse people. Right. So that's what I was taught as an educator. I went through a lot of training and, and basically learned that every student is unique. Can you give us one layer deeper on like how something we can take and apply when trying to work with the unique situations of our uh, team? Um, well, comparing to the, into the restaurants, I mean, when you hire somebody on, you're hiring them for a particular purpose. You can see them right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love going through interview processes and talking to some individual. I want to make it just very light. I'll get into them, talk with them a lot to see what their personality is like. I don't care what their personality is like. I just want to know if they're going to be a hard worker. And when they're in here and they're working with me, I know how to work with that individual based upon just communicating with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they want to be pushed harder, well, I'll push them harder. 
And if it's somebody that's just kind of shy, well, I'm going to give them their moment and be shy. But allow them to do what they do best. I got you. Um, what happens when we need to get them away from what they do to fit into the mold? Because, I mean, we, we don't want molds, right? No, not at all. But we do need them to be able to fit somewhat in the position, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So how do we get them away from what is best for them to do what's best for the team? Is it sometimes as hard as saying you're not a good fit for the team? Or, like, well, how do we handle those situations? Well, we don't, I mean, I try not to get to that point. Yeah. I try not to get to that point at all because I think that everybody has something about them. Um, when you're in, in this environment... Um, and again, going through this part of the interview process or if they're being onboarded with us, I talk about, I want you here and I want you to take away something from mm-hmm. us. Again, I know this is just a pivoted point for you. I know you're moving on to something else, but I want you to learn something. And hopefully that's what I can teach you. And then mm-hmm. again, being an educator, that's what has made this restaurant really successful for me is that I know how to work with individuals. Yes. And I think that's something that's really important as an owner, whether you want to be or not. You are an educator. It is our responsibility, our obligation, I'll go as far as saying, to make the people that come to work for us better individuals, to give them knowledge, to give them values, to imprint ourselves on them, right? Exactly. That's what our responsibility is to the the future of operators, like when, or just just the generations that come after us. We got to pass it on, no? We got to share that knowledge. We have to educate. so thank you for getting to that detail yeah. and that, that importance. Uh, I think it's also important to, to point out that you you went back to school during this. Yeah, time. I mean, I mean, here you are working for a, an educational um, institute. So they gave me the option to, to further my degree, and you know, leaving culinary school is an associate's degree. I mean, there was nothing more really to yeah. go for. I mean, I, I could have gone for more education, but really, the education was those restaurants I worked in. Yep. And that was my master's degree yep. at that point. Yep. Um, but going back and getting my bachelor's, and that was the funniest thing. Here I am, a poor student back in uh, my twenties <laughs> and teens. And here I am now, and I'm, I'm basically again three point nine eights. Completed my bachelor's degree, and then I said, "Well, let's go on and get the master's." So okay. I did it, and uh, again graduated that with three point nine. All in, in uh, business hospitality focus, right? Right, exactly, one hundred percent hospitality yeah. management, um, and basically just learning so much more. Yeah. I think there. I mean, honestly, uh, and I'm curious your opinion. Being an educator uh, mm-hmm. and going and investing in an education. And getting the School of Hard Knocks education, do you think it's necessary to go to school um, in today's... In oh, today's, of course. I mean, maybe 10 years ago, it yeah. might have been a different story, but in today's world... Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a question I think would be um, um, completely you know, looked at in two different ways. Um, if I would have somebody come to me and ask me that, I would say, yeah, totally go get an education. Um, because if that gives you the leverage of going somewhere and doing something in your, in your future for an opportunity and you need that piece of paper, then do it. Yeah. I mean, it's great to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, the hard thing is the money aspect about the whole thing. It's about paying back all those loans. And yeah. Education today has, has, has skyrocketed. Yeah. And so even being an institute where I was, you know, it's like it's hard to it's, – it's a lot of money. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where and, I am. Like, and I don't – I don't always encourage people to go get a culinary degree or an MBA in uh, hospitality management because of what you make when you come out. And it's really hard to recover. Oh yeah, it is. And it's one career that's very interesting. Now it's going to take a lot of time to make back the money that you're, you're putting into it. But you're also living proof that you can work in the best restaurants in the world with no formal education. Oh, 100%. So it's like, well, why am I spending $50,000 to get a shot at one of these when I can just show up at the back door? And that still exists today. You can still go to anywhere you want and not have to have that piece of paper. And how are you living during that, those years? During, oh no, 
No, you were back. living out of a tent, and I know this because we were just talking about it off air. Yes. Uh, so the thing is, when you have school loans, guess what? You're not living out of a tent no. because you've got to pay back those school loans. So you limit yourself on what the experiences you can get, and I think that's really freaking important to point out. Yes, exactly. Um, but you did get that formal education, but you did it when you were a lot more older and mature, and I think yeah. that's important to point out. I did out. that too, and I also did it smartly. I mean, I was yeah. teaching and... and I was asked. Is I look back. At You're it, on board at this point. I'm you happy. Know, you, I'm, I, yeah. and it's a free education too. I'm not. I don't have to spend money on. But it. But I think when people wait five years, ten years to get that experience to know that I'm in. I'm, yeah. This is my lane. Then you get those those degrees. You're also going to make the most out of those degrees when you're a lot more mature. You're oh man, it was the, amazing. Yeah. I'll tell you that I was so happy at the time I got my master's and my bachelor's because I had learning experience behind me. Yeah. So therefore, I could apply it to all the things I was doing in education, mm-hmm. and it made sense. And I think that's just what took away. And the classes were so small, and they kind of you kind of work with people that were more experienced yep. as well at that point. Um, and that's where I learned a lot. Yep. I really, truly did learn a lot in my master's degree because what I, I did was it gave me the, the confidence to propel into what I did here at this restaurant. Nice. So let's summarize you, Andrew Savoy, up to this point. You spent at least five years working in some of the best restaurants in the country. Uh, you take a 10-year a sabbatical from working in the country to work – or sorry, to, from working in the industry to working on the industry, basically right. helping the next uh, generation of professionals. Uh, 10 years doing that. And then you also have your, your MBA – and you know your masters, your your yep. uh, bachelors. You have all these experiences compiled. 2015. Now it's time for you to 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 do your own thing. Yes. I'm, I feel like if I had that kind of tra- track record, I'd right. be shitting bricks. Right. Because like I can't fail. <laughs> like, right. Because I have all this experience, an MBA. Like I I should be the one that knocks it out of the park. Exactly. Right? Did that scare you? No. No. I knew that I had the confidence. Yeah. Um, what scared me was. Are people going to believe in it? Mm. Right? That's the whole thing. So what led into you saying, okay, it's time for me to open my own place? Yeah, so that's a good one. Um, so after getting my MBA, um, and, and solely I did it also to give myself growth opportunities in education. So at that point, I never really thought about opening a restaurant. At that point, I was like, well, this is a great track record. I'm doing really wonderful, and uh, I'm doing everything they told me that I needed to do. So I went to go get my MBA, and I went to my director, and I said, uh, what else can I uh, do since I got my master's now, my MBA? He goes, well, there's not really much we can do. And at that point, I knew exactly, okay, so I'm going to give you my notice right now. Yeah, what's next, yeah, right? So you, there's a ceiling in education, I feel like in the, the yeah, traditional sense. Right. Traditional education, but in the less traditional sense, yeah, there's nothing, you can there's never nothing stop more. learning. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing more to go and, and advance in. So I remember taking a trip with my wife. We took a car uh, back from Mossfield with the kids playing soccer at that point, and I was super hungry, and we both said, yeah, breakfast tacos sound great. But the problem was breakfast tacos did not exist in our neighborhood, and they were a little bit, you know, 15, 20-minute drive, which is not long, but, yeah. you know, with three kids in the back. Every minute counts. Yeah, everything, everything <laughs> counts. So we, my wife looked at me. She said, why don't you just open your own thing? I said, Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's half fantastic. the battle is getting the, the thumbs up from the misses, right? Yeah, in some relationships at least. So it was fantastic. <laughs> I was like, let's do it. And so at that point, I knew a lot of people in this industry in Dallas. And one of the key people I had talked to was I think you had him on your show too, Jason Boso. Yes. Um, and and Sma- I remember, not Smashburger. Um, uh, Twisted Roots. Twisted Roots. Yeah. So I remember talking to him. I sat. To, I said, "Listen, Jason, here's my concept. Here's my idea. What do you think about it?" And he kind of looked at me and says, "Well, breakfast tacos." Not going to get you rich. <laughs> I was like, yes, you're right. Probably not. Yeah. So right off the bat, I said, okay, let's change our model. Let's do lunch and dinner. Um, so uh, I was really excited about that because it actually it made sense to me. Here I am taking all my knowledge that I've had all these years in these different restaurants, 
but the tortilla is a perfect palette. Yeah. It's, it's the vehicle for something really yeah. cool that you could do anything yes. with. There's no rules. No yeah. one's telling you can't do that. Let's backpedal a little bit because um, breakfast tacos, not yes. going to make you rich. And for those people, for those who it's not quite obvious for why, why is that model going to be a challenge? Well, I mean, it, well, it can be, you can make you really wealthy, but I guess you're opening up many locations would actually do that. But for me, um, it wasn't providing enough substantial financial to come in and cover my costs. Um, I would hire, you know, just the labor alone was not making any sense. And I'd go yeah. through all this education. I was putting the numbers to place and we saw that right away. Yeah. So, I mean, I th- think you're limited to a small window when you do breakfast tacos. Right? Correct. Like 8 a.m., 7 a.m. if you want to. 11. Know, or 11, right? But with lunch and dinner, now you have you know, more opportunity, more time to get more butts and seats. Correct. Right? Um, so that plays into it. Uh, any other variables? Um, to moving forward to making lunch and dinner? Yeah. To the key aspect? Yeah. I mean, it, it gave me the creativity to use things that I learned. Breakfast tacos are breakfast tacos. Yeah. We got it. I mean, yeah. you can make them a little interesting and fun, yeah. but you can't play around with a lot of cool ingredients. Yes. Yeah, you know, sky's the limit with lunch and dinner when it comes right. to tacos. Like you said, you're just filling the vehicle, you yes. know? Uh, so what was like, paint your vision of what you wanted to create. I me. Mean, you, you kind of identified that there was a need, which I think is, is important to bring back to the surface. Yes. There was a need you were looking for it and it didn't exist. That's right. usually a good cue that you're not the only person. Yes. And again, I, you know, at this point I can open anything. I could open a French bistro. I could have done anything I really wanted to do. I was well versed in all these different methods. But I knew, first of all, being in Texas for how many years I've been here for 17 it was, I love the idea of that tacos. You know, yeah. it's like, it's just, it's, it's an iconic thing throughout Texas. People love it. People socialize over it. It's not going to get old. Yep. Um, it's it's like the burger. Yeah. You know, same thing. But, and so the idea was to do tacos. And, and, this, and I didn't want to do a fussy place. I yep. didn't want to do a, like just a stuffy, stuffy little yeah. thing. I wanted something fun. You wanted to be the Hugos of kind of, I mean, right. Hugos wasn't stuffy. No, and I mean, you know what? This there is isn't stuffy. It's yeah, very, no, no, I mean, no. It's a casual atmosphere, casual. but really fine food. Right. Yeah. So actually, this, this concept was helped design with Rob Evans in a way. Nice. I was like being a duck fat, and I, I kind of did a little stodge up there and looked at his model and everything else. But I, I wanted that same kind of feel being here down in Texas with tacos. Yeah, and it's kind of important to point out, too, that up to this point, like you're working in fine dining, full-service restaurants. This is not a fine oh, – you could argue it's fine dining, but it's not full-service. It's a counter-service. Counter-service, right? 100%. Counter-service. We call so, it fresh casual. So what with all the, this business – you know education you got and experience why why not do fine dining what why are you doing the fast cut oh, why are you taking this yeah approach? we're in lake highlands neighborhood it's a it's a family community it's not somewhere people are gonna you know create a destination spot to go to okay so i needed to support what i was doing here in this community okay feeding the masses yep um were you thinking operationally um were you trying to be like you know like knowing where the industry is going with the shortage of labor and all that. This was on the horizon in 2015. Yes. Did you, were you thinking I might not be able to operate a no. Hugo's in this, in this no, age? No, no. I, 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 I fell into a great spot here in Lake Highlands. Okay. Uh, the rent was perfect. You know, I didn't, wasn't spending too much. Uh, my space is only 1,200 square feet. What does perfect rent look like? Um, manageable. What's that look like? <laughs> um, low numbers. Okay. What's a low number? <laughs> I don't know. Between 10 and 15. Okay. Square feet. It was perfect. I okay. mean, you know, he, I took a lease for three years. Yeah. And it was safe to me, mm-hmm. you know, at this time. It was like, well, if I don't make it, I don't make it. What, what, what about the situation made it safe? 
Um, well, it's just because I can cover my costs. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I built the business plan. Yeah. And this, I looked at the numbers and this, I said, this makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I can do this. If I reach this number every single day, I yep. am good. Okay. And this was, is where I put my guests through the ringer and I really right. pull back the layers and try to get the juicy business yes. advice. And you're doing great, by the way. Thank you. Um, any other uh, things that you put into this this business intentionally in the sense that like you took this angle. I mean, you know, the look, it, the, the, the market's underserved for tacos. You know that, uh, this, this market needs something casual. That's going to be uh, counter service. What else did you know this market was going to need? It needs something more. The, uh, Lake Highlands has been a community that, um, just never had anything fresh. It needs something more it needed fresh fruits. There are a lot of people in this, this community that love just the ingredients and where they come from local sourced. That's what people wanted. That's what I created. Mm-hmm. I did research, yeah. you know, talking yeah. to people, our friends, family members. What do we need? Mm. And that's what it was. So what about capital? How did you find the money? to? Yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate. Here I am doing yeah. education for nine years, making good money. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a great supportive family behind me, you know, a partnership with my wife. And we knew this was something that we wanted to create for the community. So we used our own capital. Nice. I mean, and, and with anything... It was a risky situation. You know, we put our own money up for this. So did you take out loans or did you put money... Did you cover Yeah, the majority of this comes from our money. Okay. Um, but I did take out a loan out to create a, a nice relationship with the bank. Well, um, and that's key. I think the other thing too is like, look at your you on paper up to this point. Right? Yeah. What bank wouldn't be like, okay. You know, you, you worked in all these great restaurants. Right. Uh, some, some of the finest in the world, not only in the nation. Uh, you also uh, educated... Right, you have your master's, your MBA in hospitality. Right. Like you are kind of a good bet. Oh, dude, it was a like, no-brainer. I'm, if I'm ba- if I'm betting, if I'm putting money on this. I'm putting I'm putting my money on one hundred percent. It was so much funny having that conversation with the bank. It was just like, here's my business plan. And he's like, well, I've never seen something so nice. Okay, great. Let's talk more about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, really, I wasn't taking out a huge loan either. Too, it was uh, it was just really an equipment loan um, to get the stuff that I needed in here, and also create a little bit more capital for uh, you know payroll to start payroll within the first couple of months. Um, and it was easy. It was a very easy transaction. Nice. Okay, so you're going to open the doors. You got all the money. You got everything squared away. You know your concept. You know what you're going to do. You're open. Take us through the first couple of weeks. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> so much uh, energy. It was, it was a blast. First of all, too, and I, I can't, I, I couldn't be able to do this without the employees that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. Because I, coming from an education uh, and, and teaching, I grabbed some of the best students. Yes, yes. And so I, I brought them I was with curious me. about that. Yeah, yeah I brought you all must, the students over you with must me. must have the best network. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. So I knew exactly, they knew me. Yep. And it wasn't like creating a whole new team and environment about my philosophy. Yep. They already knew who I was. And like you were teaching in this community. So you have roots. And I think that's right. a big lesson that people try to go to other places and to open a restaurant, but they don't know anybody. Right. And even if you came up in a community and you're working for other people in that community, you still know everybody who's the rock star in the restaurant industry because yeah. you worked in five restaurants in the past five years you know who's who yeah. and you're opening your own place you can pull from those those relationships you've had yeah. but now you're teaching now you've you've getting like 30 new people every year yeah you know that you can you know put in your rolodex and reach back out to that's, that's right that's it so was powerful. perfect it was i just had a student here today for lunch nice came back in to say hello and it's just the networks alone was perfect for this this opening yeah i couldn't have done it without it i Any, really couldn't have anything in the early days um reflecting back that you wish you did differently or that you learned the hard way or that you didn't maybe make the right move on Oh, give me another example of that. Like knowing what you know now, yeah. if you could go back to 2015 and do it all over again, if you would have made a little oh. bit of tweak or anything that you didn't foresee. For the restaurant space you're talking about. Yeah. Like, stuff, oh my gosh, okay, yes. That, you know, I designed the space according to what I thought would be really good. Okay. And 
in Homicide, it is. It's great. However, there are small flaws in the system. 1,200 square feet is just not enough. Okay. I could probably use about maybe 400 more square feet. You're going to be curious. I'm looking around. I'm trying to see where, if I can identify where the flaw <laughs> is. Uh, where do people order? So it's at the front here. So up at the front okay. by the windows. And Q, it's there's no space for Q. a large space. Okay. So when people come lining up in here, there's nowhere to hang out. Yep. So I never put that together. So if you are super successful and busy, where is everybody going to go? Standing outside that door, <laughs> yeah. you know, and waiting to get in. In Texas, when it's cold, it's cold. When it's hot, yeah. it's hot. Yep. So, you know, that was the one mistake. And we do have the camera. Um, if you are listening to this, there is going to be a video component to this interview. Uh, when you walk into the front door, uh, we're sitting along the right wall of the building. You take a left and you order right there. And you can see in the camera, there's a long bar that goes all the way through. The, the, the seats are on top of the bar. Um, what would you have done differently? Knowing what you know now, how would you have set up your kitchen differently? Um, actually, it works fine. Um, that whole premises is working really cool. Um, I wanted to have an open kitchen to create more of a guest yeah. connection. Um, knowing that, that's one of the most important things you can do is connect yeah. with your guests. So I knew that was key. Again, going back to it, there's only six stool seats up there. So mm. really, it's a, it's a sought-after spot to sit. Yeah. Um, but also, it's, it's not a bar. We're... A fresh casual concept where you're eating, you're drinking, and then you're getting out and moving to the next person in to sit down. Yeah. Um, so, again, I, something I would love to create is more of a bar concept to mm-hmm. people really just to sit and really enjoy and have that longer conversation and not mm-hmm. feel like they have to rush out because we're only a 28 seat restaurant. Yeah, because there's people holding food with no place to sit. Right. right? That's a lot, that creates an awkward situation. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing what you know, would you have maybe reverse the flow of? maybe starting down that way so you have people that can stand in queue in line or yeah i no? think it just it's the space itself i mean okay. the space that i have it's a rectangle space um i would have to rethink it Got again you. Yeah. so i think the big lesson there is just think about where people are going to stand in line if it is busy yeah. making that space what else did you learn um you know just the flow of the food and where we're going to go i think i did a great job with the kitchen itself and and executing uh shorter cooking um, we, at the time, right behind me, if you're looking at these cameras, uh, that was the pass. Um, didn't make much sense. So it was too much traveling back. So we created all at the end of the bar down there. So that's something we changed. But it's mm-hmm. always about adjusting. Yep. I think that's the one key thing that... You don't know until you know. No. And, the, you don't, like, and the only way to know is by jumping in and going, okay, like this is what it feels like. Yeah, but ultimately, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy about the space. I really am. I mean, if it's I a had great it, space. Yeah, it's small and it's quaint. And my wife and I call it Cozy New York. Yeah. And, and that's what I wanted to create here in this, in this environment. But I think it's also important to point out that you didn't know this was going to be a success. No. I mean, you thought it was going to be a, a success. That's why you, you, risk, you put a risk into it, right? Right. You took the chance. Um, but if, it, you know, sometimes people, I think they try to go too big too soon. Right. And then it takes time to build up the momentum. And meanwhile, they, they're thinking they're going to do a certain amount of numbers that they're just not meeting. And then they end up, you know, having to close early right. because they didn't, they weren't able to spread the word fast enough to fill the space. Right. But now going from this space to a different space, if you wanted to right. say, for example, say if a shady's close tomorrow, but not saying it's going to, I'm saying if, if for whatever reason, something, is it called shady's is yes. that the place right next door? Yes. Um, then you can make an easy transfer over there, but you I have a foundation, not, but you I would, would why wouldn't you? Here's the key written. You know, the thing is when I created this concept, it was for people to have a social, if you look around, there's no TVs. Yeah. Actually, we have a funny joke in here too. All the walls are kind of surrounded by metal, so you can't even receive a phone call in here. Okay. So we've created a concept where you have to come in and communicate with people. You have to. Mm. There's no other way. You can't look at a TV. You have like to sit it. along and talk to somebody. If you're by yourself, one of our employees is going to talk to you. Nice. So that's kind of what we created for that space. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for moving to move Shady's, it would destroy my whole idea. Yeah. Um, in the space and try to describe Shady's, it's 
four times the size of my restaurant. It has a really beautiful patio. Yeah. Um, you know, it has everything you want. It's in kind a of restaurant. a sports bar vibe. More to of it. a sports bar. Yeah. But the thing is, families and lots and lots and lots and lots of kids go over there. Yeah. And it destroys that idea. Now, it works for their concept. Yeah. But it would not work for my concept over here. Kids can be distracting. Distracting, yeah. And people <laughs> yeah. in here want to have a conversation. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the, the, the big point I was trying to make is just don't try to go big too, too, no. too big too soon. Right? Big it's mistakes sometimes. Scale. Yeah. So was that kind of in the back of your mind? Yeah, totally. 100%. I did not want a large space because, again, the, the trend in the history in markets would just basically say if you open to something too big, it's great. But maybe a couple months afterwards, it's not going to hit the yeah. market anymore. Anything else that you really are just – hoping we discuss or things that you're just super, super proud of with the success of this business uh, that you can bring to the, the, the table. And we can yeah, I think overall, it's the community that I'm, I'm part of, the taco community here in Dallas, Texas. It's amazing. I, I mean, here I am. I'm a gringo opening a taco place. I don't call myself authentic at all. I want to be more of a Mexican-inspired concept. Mm. So I take the traditionality of what we do here, but inspire it with mm-hmm. Mexican cuisine and ingredients, but also put all my history and past into what we do. Mm. That's kind of what we do here. I love it. Uh, I think it's also important to say that, or to discuss the importance of a unique selling proposition. Um, it's not worth doing something unless you can be number one at it in your community. In your, you know, if you draw whatever, like a 20-mile radius yeah. around your location, if you can't be the, the best... Um, then it's not worth doing that thing. Was that kind of going through your mind? No, I think I just really wanted to create a fun place nice. that I believed okay. in. That's, cool. that's solely what it was about. It wasn't, uh, yeah, competition's great and fun, but really yeah. this is my business. This is what I do. You know, I'm not trying to compete against somebody else. I, I really don't, it doesn't reflect that way for Got me. Gotcha. What about any other lessons that you learned the hard way that you kind of wish you had known or made a different decisions or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, lines? nobody tells you how to manage humans. Mm. Nobody tells you. Let's get into it. How you know, do you manage humans? That was one of the hardest things. I mean, I can, <laughs> I can give you good food. I can give you great service. I can give you great space. I can do a lot of cool things here. But to make people believe in what you're doing and try to have them create and be the same person you are, you can't force that. So then how do you make somebody believe in what you're doing? How do you, how do you get them close to what you are? Stay calm. <laughs> Stay calm. Yeah. And just believe in the path. You know... You want something to happen quick. It's not going to happen quick. What do you mean the path? What do you the mean path of what you're trying to do. You know, you're trying to create a business mission. that is consistent. Is it is the closest like business term mission or yeah. vision? Is that kind of yeah? What you're sure, it could be your mission, but it's my it's my it's my your purpose. Purpose, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to rush. I don't want to rush it. We're doing great, mm-hmm. you know, and it's wonderful. And why we're doing great is because we believe in the path. So, how do you communicate? So you know what your path is. You know what your purpose is. How do you communicate that to your people? How do they know what that is? You know, creating a family. Creating a family. That's the biggest thing in my, in my environment here. And I've had you know, many talks with people and saying, listen, guys, you are family to me. You're doing something that is providing for my family. And what we can do is provide for you as well. Okay. So giving you a great work environment and in, in, uh, to make money, but also learn. So what does a great work environment look like? Paint that picture Teamwork, of perfection. man. Teamwork 100%. Everybody's working together. Everybody's happy. They come to work excited. They, they use this place as an isolation place of problems from the outside world. They come mm. here and they have something they can, they can believe in. I love it. Anything that we have not discussed that you know will add value to this conversation that we can bring to the surface? Yeah, 100% we... is people around you, man. You know, believe in support. Believe in your friends and family. Um, when people want to help out, use it. Yeah. You know, that's the whole thing. And making connections, networking as much as you possibly can in this business. 
um, knowing your environment. And, and when people are talking about your business, they're providing business for your business. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, one question I want to start asking all my guests is that, uh, you know, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, so how have you transformed? Who are you today? The man you are today versus the man you were back in 2001. Yeah, sure. With your first, like, legit line position. I think what I'm doing, I think I'm providing opportunities. I'm providing an opportunity for someone like me when I was a young kid coming into this business and work for somebody that is going to teach them mm. and give them a hopeful chance of doing something they love to do. A safe environment. I love it. Great stuff. I have loved this conversation. We're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a legit speed round. If you like saving time and money, then you've got to check out both Bevager and Foodager.com. Here's how they save you that time and moolah. They empower you to count your entire bar inventory accurately in half the time. They make it so you never lose an invoice. Foodager and Bevager make it possible to place all of your orders at once. You can even order from any device straight from the vendor, which gets you those low, low rates. And lastly, you'll get real-time costing and sales analytics. To learn more, head over to Bevager.com or Foodager.com slash unstoppable. And if you use those links, you can save up to $200 on your POS integration. What are you waiting for? I'm ready. All right. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Intensity. Intensity. What is your biggest weakness? Anxiety. How are you overcoming anxiety? I feel like this is an emerging challenge in society today. Anxiety. 100% it is. Anxiety. Um, I, I, I try to breathe. I try not to overthink. Um, and I talk a lot with my wife. Okay. Yeah, connections Breathe, that way. Think and talk. How how does breathing help you? Deep breaths. I got three beautiful children. Yeah. And you know, each one of them has anxiety well. I mean, yeah. you go through life and there's challenges and, and try to inspire them by saying, just sit and breathe. Yeah. Breathe first and then let's rethink what we're doing. And now what's happening when people breathe, what's going on in the mind is you're focusing on the breath. And when you focus on the breath, it makes everything that's causing the anxiety to go away. Uh, not really, but you know, like right. it, it gets it out so you can just focus on the breath and it kind of clears the mind, right? Right, exactly. Um, it's very powerful and anybody can literally just focus on their breath and focus on their breathing and it helps detach from all that shit. And it, sep- it separates the idea between reaction and responding. Mm. Uh, what about speaking or talking to your wife? How does that help with your anxiety? Yeah, just th- I mean, mentally, everybody needs to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, thoughts are very important. And sometimes the way you think is not the way something's going to be looked at. Yeah. By getting feedback from someone else provides you a, a good outlook on something. I love it. Great stuff. The next question I have for you is what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? All right. So there's many fun things you can probably spit out there and, you know, uh, saying what's your favorite ingredients and all that. The one thing I look for in an interview is respect. I kind mm. of deep dive deep into this and in saying pretty much and trying to get them to say uh, whether it's being earned or whether it should be given to somebody. Um, I have a lot of high school employees with me, and it's really important to make sure that those high school employees have been trained properly by their parents. Yeah. And when I want somebody in here, I want somebody who's going to work hard and earn the respect um, rather than just saying they should be given that Entitled to the position, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? My biggest challenge today, um, and it has been since I've opened this, is managing humans. Mm. 
Yeah. How are you overcoming, how are you overcoming that? Just working at it. Yeah. Um, getting to know them a little bit more, trying different practices. Again, it's just, it's never going to be perfect, but it's something I have to work on. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value. A yes, way to be. 100% integrity. What is integrity to integrity you? Integrity to me is doing the right thing when no one else is looking. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is some way to go above and beyond what's expected from your guests. It's common within your restaurants, but not common through, throughout the industry. Human behavior. It's human behavior. Knowing how to present yourself to a customer. Mm. I know it's a standard. I get it. But... You need to know your market. You need to know your clients. You yep. need to know your customers. Yep. And uh, my staff is so well-versed in getting to know people by their names. That's mm. so powerful. Every, the, the, I can't remember who said it, but everybody's favorite word is their own name. And I've, now I feel really bad for forgetting your name <laughs> earlier, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so important. And it's, it's worth putting time into memorizing names because people, when you use their names, they, they know that you see them. They know that you know them. And that's, right. we want to be known. We want to belong. It's so powerful. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Well, for me, it's always been publications. I mean, newspaper publications, um, in local publications. You want to know your market. You yep. want to know what's going on around your area. You're well-versed in that. You're networking properly. You, you know what's happening, so you're just not isolated from there. Mm-hmm. Um, one book that was given to me was by Rob, and it's Culinary Artistry. I love that book. It's, a, it's given everything to me uh, ever since I received it. That was Culinary Artistry. Correct. Yes. And uh, who's the author of that book? Uh, Karen Page and yep. um, Dornenberg, yeah. That's right. And it's just it's something that has taught me so much about flavors and the overall connection, what you're trying to do with food. Yep. And I should have known it was Karen because honestly, they've been on the show in the past, <laughs> but they're on the show to talk about their newest book, uh, which is, oh, I should know the name of that book. God, so many well, things in my life, too. but it's, it's a, it's, it was a, it was a, so it was kind of a compound off of the flavor Bible, then the vegetarian flavor Correct. Bible. And then their latest book is like culinary creativity, I think is what it is. Right. And it's the idea that it's like, how do you, do you get creative in the restaurant industry? Uh, it's really interesting, oh, it's a, uh, but their books are amazing. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're so well spot on. I'll link to all those books in the show notes. This is episode 682. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com. Column slash 682. We'll link to those books in the show notes. And uh, the next question I have for you is what is one person or company you've outsourced? So this is a consultant or uh, an accountant or a designer or somebody you brought in just for like, you know, uh, advice, like anybody yeah. that you can recommend. Well, 100% I'm going to say David Denny. You've had him on yeah. your show. He is, uh, he's my advocate. He's great to have. He's, uh, he's so well knowledgeable in this business. Who is David Denny? Denny he is my attorney yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right here in Dallas, Texas. And, um, you know, the guy is so passionate about what he does and this is what he believes in and he's looking out for you. Yeah. And, and he's, he's been on the show twice now. Right. And I, I can link to those episodes yes. as well. He Jared, you got a lot of work. Such great advice. You. Such great advice. <laughs> yeah. Jared's got his work cut out editing this episode, but we love Jared and he's doing a great job. So the next question I have for you is, uh, what is one technology you've out? source so this is uh like a pos or online like anything like yeah i'm gonna talk about pos i mean go for it revel i'm using revel right now it's fantastic nice um i i believe in in sales and the person who's working with you that communication and teamwork makes anything work yeah you know and i think that revel and who i have personally is amazing at what he does give him a Um, shout out (laughs) mention his name why not (laughs) 
Well, get him, not, help I, him get a raise. I, I'm not. Well, we'll maybe we'll talk about him later. <laughs> <laughs> He's great, though. He's a good guy. Uh, and Revel is a past sponsor of the show. A great POS company. Um, and why why did you choose Revel for your concepts? In particular? Well, actually, it's funny. I have just got a new accountant, and he said that my past uh, thing that I was using Clover was not okay. And he said we need to get you upgraded to a better POS system. And and I was really proud about. Uh, well, it's important. Why wasn't Clover okay for somebody who's looking at POSs and like, oh, Clover is cheap as heck? Well, it's great. Yeah, I think it does a great job, and I think you can do whatever you want with it. But the people that I was working with, my accountant, were working with a certain software that was more compatible with Revel. So Revel is a, is uh, compatible with QuickBooks. I know that. Yes. Was that what your accountant was working? I you with? know, I think they changed over to something else now okay. too. It, it changes quite often, but yeah. again, it works for what they need. So if you want to scale. Um, or if you want to outsource or whatever, you have to think about what's compatible with these POS systems is a big uh, thing to consider. I've heard that Revel in particular is great with counter service yes. uh, and fast casual concepts. So did that play into why you went with it? Nope. Okay. Not at all. Well, because you got it, it later. That's yeah, right. Yeah, it was, it was strictly, it was a basically my accounting saying, let's put you in contact with Jonathan Cooper, his name, <laughs> um, and said, hey, you know, let's talk. And he was just, we connected, man. It was perfect. And nice. then he wasn't trying to BS me in any yeah. way. He was just saying, here we go. Yeah. And I think that's something that's worth bringing to the surface is the significance of, of uh, customer support. Uh, when your POS goes down, that's your lifeline. Yep. Uh, so you need to be able to get in touch with somebody quick. And I know Revel does a really great job with having people available. Yeah. He's, he's, yep. well, he's perfect. He comes yeah. here and does everything. Nice. Uh, the next question we have for you is, this is the last question as a matter of fact. So, Brace for impact. It's a doozy. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Um, be kind. Number one, be kind. Um, learn. Number two, learn. Be kind. Be kind. <laughs> Be I'm kind, say it learn, twice. be kind. It's so powerful. It you know, is. It's, it's I'm going to say it twice. Yeah. That, that energy you put out into the universe comes back to you tenfold. And, uh, and I know it sounds woo-woo as heck, but it's real. You yeah. Know, you can't if if you it. want a different one, I'll say also choose happiness. Choose happiness. I love it. Great stuff. I've loved this conversation. You've been a great guest. Thank you so much. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. So who do you believe would make a great guest in the show? Somebody you would respect and admire and would make a great guest call. Yeah, him. definitely. I think it's going to be Michael Petticolis. I think he'd reach out. We're having his beer right now, and it's delicious. Nice. Um, but he is definitely a very good person at business and getting to know his market, but also uh, his employees believe in what he's doing. Nice. Michael, and look out. Big. I'm coming after you. I would love to get you on the show. And uh, let us know, how can we connect with you? Maybe uh, we're in the Dallas area, uh, and we want to come join your team and learn yeah, from you. Yeah, sure. Well, we're located in Lake Highlands here and uh, 9661 Aldelia Road. Dallas, Texas, 75238. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook to see what we're actually doing. Check out our food. Like us. Do you know those, those handles off the top of your head? Resident Taqueria. All right. Straight up. And, and this is episode, again, 682. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 682. I'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any tool, a book, resource, company, consultant, attorney. Uh, what else did we mention? Uh, past episodes linked to that uh, in that show notes and uh, how to connect with Andrew over there. Again, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. We'll cut it there, dude. Cheers. Thanks. Awesome job. You did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> 
hot dang that was a good one thank you so much chef andrew savoy for taking the time to join us to share your story and your experience and your mentorship man you were a great guest uh tons of amazing advice came out of today's conversation i think the ones that that really really stuck out to me the 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 stuff that really just resonated with me was that that you just didn't quit that you knew the importance of the people you surrounded yourself with and you would show up on the back doorstep you know and and you People, I think, just don't understand that the value of the the you are the average of people the people you surround yourself with, right? And you you saw that, and uh, we have so much value we can give. Uh, one thing that we have that we all have it's the equalizer. It's twenty four hours in a day. How you choose to to spend your time and who to give your time to has there's so much leverage in that. And when with an industry with such small margins. If you can donate your time, if you can give your time to a restaurant that might not have space for you quite yet, like when there is space, guess what? You know, go prove yourself, go bust your ass. They will create an opportunity for you. They'll create space for you. I think there's a great lesson there. I think I probably beat the shit out of that lesson, but it's just so powerful. And the other one is set your team up. I love that that this came out of today's conversation. Uh, there's always like this divide between front of house or back of house or just different people. But the mentality we need to have is that it's our job to serve these team members, our own team members, the people we're working with, the people that we're shoulder and shoulder with, like we were serving our guests, right? It, it, we got to set each other up. We got to set them up for success. That means making sure everything they need for their shift is ready to go and just being mindful for the people we're around. I think that came out of today's conversation and just, man, I think that's enough uh, for today to reflect on. Uh, again, Andrew, thank you. But uh, some calls to action, guys. Uh, this is something that I need to be much better about. Uh, you know, and I think Andrew pointed this out too, is that we, you got to ask for help. You know, if people are out there and they're willing to help you, you got to take that help. So, uh, one way I can, uh, ask for help is the, just to like, have you guys give you guys some calls to action. So your first call to action today, guys, is to subscribe to my YouTube channel, head over to YouTube and uh, search restaurant unstoppable. We have over 20 videos now, um, over the past, uh, year I've been recording video, all these interviews. And now we're finally, I have the bandwidth to slowly start releasing these videos. Uh, we're going to be catching up, uh, over the next couple months, but right now there's 20 videos, uh, over at, at YouTube, uh, eventually we'll be real time releasing these videos as the, the episodes are going live. Uh, but make sure you head over there and subscribe. Also, please subscribe to my email list. Uh, this is how you know where I am. This is I'm constantly telling my listeners where I'm at, where I plan to go. Um, you know, just this is where the intimacy. This is where the intimacy is for me. I'm not that big on social media, I'll be honest. But I love that email list. That's where I'm, I'm posting my my weekly updates there at least once a week so go subscribe and you can subscribe to the email list by heading over to any show notes page so this is episode 682 head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 682 and then scroll down to the bottom and subscribe to that email list when you subscribe to that email list you're gonna get a complete list of every tool service recommended on the show by who recommended them and prioritized by the most recommended from pos systems to to uh inventory management to uh reservations like it's all there if you're getting started or if you want to improve your tech that's a great way to um you know a great place to start right there and then uh what else uh start using my links please 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 start using my links guys uh and it's so easy all you gotta do if you're listening to this on itunes right uh, on your phone on the itunes app or the podcast app scroll down 
And all the links from any tool that was recommended today is, is right there, uh, sp- uh, especially Revel. Uh, Revel is one of my affiliates. So if you're interested in Revel, um, make sure you use that link or reach out to me and I'll connect you to Revel directly. Also, some great books recommended today. And don't uh, even hesitate to reach out to David Denny if you need some legal issue advice. Uh, he's a great guy. And um, what else? Uh, the Facebook group. I have a, the Unstoppable Restaurant Owners and Operators Facebook group. Uh, this is just something that I, I started a couple months ago. I haven't really been pushing that hard, but it's time to push this group to you guys, let you know it's out there. So there's a lot of uh, Facebook groups out there of, of restaurant owners and operators, but I think that people will just bitch and moan all the time. I don't want that to be this group. I want this to be a positive group of supporting and sharing knowledge. And if you're interested in joining that group, again, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes one more time. This is episode 682. All right. I think that's it. I appreciate you all. Would not be able to do what I do without people like you uh, listening in every week, twice a week, uh, and just sharing. And thank you guys all so much for the support. And uh, I think that's all for today. So thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.